Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Fortune 500 companies choose InterOptic optical transceivers to minimize the risk of network failures and maximize IT savings. InterOptic's transceivers are 100% guaranteed compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and others, and available at a fraction of the cost. Work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers to find out more. Hey, quick uh, note before we start the show, Packet Pushers listeners, um, our guest today is an instructor who is going to give you a pretty deep discount on his course on TLS. You need to listen through to the end of the show to get that coupon code. It's worth 100 bucks off the course that uh, you can take from him. Coming up next. If you are communicating securely over a network between two endpoints, what's that mean to you that you're, quote unquote, communicating securely? Well, it should mean at least three things. One, that you confidently know who you're talking to, and two, that your conversation is private, indecipherable to third parties, and three, that no one's messed with the conversation while it was in flight. And if you're using Transport Layer Security, TLS, you get all of these things. TLS can verify the validity of a certificate that identifies who you are talking to. TLS ensures that the conversation wasn't messed with. TLS also encrypts the conversation between, say, your browser and an HTTP server. And if all is well, you get that padlock in the address bar. Like anything in the world of IT, TLS has gone through various versions. TLS 1.1 and 1.2 are still commonly used, but TLS 1.3 is really where it's at. TLS 1.3 is a big deal, and we're going to discuss why on today's Heavy Networking. Our guest is Ed Harmouche. Ed's a professional instructor who's researched TLS 1.3 and more as he's prepped for his latest course offering, Practical TLS, which you can find at Ed's site, practicalnetworking.net. Ed, welcome to Heavy Networking. And man, do, we were talking about this before the show. We have so much material to get through. It is comedy gold. I, we're not, I don't know, man. I don't think we're going to get through this. So let's just jump right into it with some level setting, kind of getting people's heads around TLS and TLS 1.3 so that everyone kind of knows what we're talking about here. So opening question, is TLS an HTTP only thing or do other protocols use it too? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, thrilled to be here. Thank you for, uh, for having me. So TLS and SSL is really just a secure communication protocol. So it's the same as IPsec or SSH. The most common use case for TLS and SSL is definitely HTTPS. That's where an HTTP conversation happens within an SSL tunnel. But more and more these days, anything can be sent through an SSL tunnel. Most people will use an SSL VPN to connect back to their corporate network or to try and hide or anonymize the internet traffic as they're browsing around the net or make them look like they're showing up from a different place around the world. So uh, it definitely has use cases well outside of just HTTP. Okay. So if I'm hearing TLS and I'm thinking SSL are are TLS and SSL, are they the same thing? Yeah, great question. This comes up pretty often. So SSL stands for Secure Sockets Layer. It's a protocol that Netscape invented way back in 1994. Uh, there have been many different iterations of SSL. There was SSL version 2.0, 3.0. Uh, and then the protocol itself was handed over for maintenance to a public internet task force known as the IETF, the Internet Engineering Task Force. That happened in 1999. And then to signify the ownership change, they renamed the protocol to TLS, Transport Layer Security. And then from there, of course, there have been many other iterations of TLS 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, and of course now 1.3. So in essence, TLS and SL are the same thing. Uh, you could say they're different versions of the same protocol. Uh, in fact, when a client and a server are trying to speak to each other to agree upon using a certain version, 
when they're trying to use TLS 1.0, they actually tell each other they support SSL version 3.1. Okay. So, so TLS is effectively, it's SSL evolved. It's just continuing down the road. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and so we had, I mentioned in the intro, we had TLS uh, 1.1, 1.2 that are pretty common. And now TLS 1.3 is the thing. All right. So what, what was wrong with TLS 1.1 and 1.2 that now we're at TLS 1.3 and it's such a big deal? TLS 1.3 really attempts to fix many of the problems with all the versions of TLS before it. In a way, TLS 1.3 is sort of like the great reset for SSL and TLS. So for instance, if you ever had a project or a network design where you were given a set of requirements and then you design a perfect network for it, and then later on, because of scope creep, more things need to be added, more patches need to be added, more one-offs need, need to be added. And way later on, it's just kind of a jumbled mess. I imagine that's something very familiar for you or your audience, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, often in these situations, you, you almost just wish you could restart and just rebuild the network from the ground up, knowing what you know now about what was important, what was not important. Well, that's sort of what TLS 1.3 was for the industry. They, to some degree, rebuilt the protocol knowing everything they learned in the last 20 to 30 years of doing internet security and uh, added it to TLS 1.3. In fact, they almost chose to call it TLS 2.0, but they uh, decided against it at the, at the last minute. Okay. So you're, you're hitting at something. This seems like it is a major change. You said the great reset button. They almost called it TLS 2.0. Right. So if TLS 1.3 is that dramatic, it's not as simple to just go from TLS 1.2 to let's say to 1.3, am I got that means different design maybe that I gotta think about in my head? Yes and no. So at, at the fundamental core, certificates still work the same way. Browsering still works the same way. So nothing's gonna have to change from the client side. Mm -hmm. From the server and the admin and specifically the, the network engineer side that's supporting this, there are some fundamental differences with TLS 1.3 that are worth knowing about, especially if you're uh, responsible for securing internet traffic or securing traffic that's coming across your corporate network. All right. Now, I tend to be a late adopter of new technology. And TLS 1.3, in a sense, it sounds like shiny new. Maybe I should just wait for TLS 1.4? Or, or should I actually get serious and start looking into 1.3? Great question. So inevitably, there will end up being a TLS 1.4. Uh, so that's going to happen sooner or later as time moves on. Uh, but TLS 1.3 was a pretty big change from the TLS ecosystem from before. Uh, so it's likely going to end up being the basis for new versions going forward anyways. Um, as an example, SL version 3.0 was the, we'll call it the last major revision to the SL uh, protocol. Mm -hmm. And that came out in 1999, rather 1998. And that ended up being deprecated in 2014. Now there's no way to tell how long TLS 1.3 will last, but at the very least you can expect at least three plus years, I would guess much more before another version is going to come out. So inevitably, you are going to have to support TLS 1.3. Moreover, at some point, TLS 1.2 is going to be deemed no longer secure. <laughs> There's no timeline for that as of now, but you're going to be forced to support TLS 1.3 at some point. So you might as well get ahead of it. So inevitably, TLS 1.2 will be no longer secure. We'll, we'll decide that as an industry. Do we have hints of that already where there's known major issues in 1.2 that we're heading down that insecure road? Right. At the moment, there are no major vulnerabilities with TLS 1.2. Uh, none that haven't had simple workarounds or fixes or the choice of better, more secure protocols to use. So at the moment, TLS 1.2 is completely greenlit. For the moment. Okay. All right. So yeah. then has anybody announced a timeline for phasing out 
TLS 1.1 and 1.2? Absolutely. So TLS 1.2, no, since that's still still greenlit for security. Uh, TLS 1.0 and TLS 1.1 have been deprecated as of March 2021. That was actually supposed to happen last year in the summer of 2020, but got delayed due to COVID. Inevitably, TLS 1.2 will at some point be phased out, but at the moment, there is no projected timeline for that. Uh, that's interesting. I've gone through some of the, oh, is it the Qualsys SSL Labs site where you can check the security level mm-hmm. of your web server? Because I've been standing up web servers lately. And they're happiest when you when you have shut off 1.1 and 1.2 and you're only 1.3. Um, that seems to give get, get you that A-plus score, if I remember right. So I have to poke around. I wonder why they're so fussy about that. Maybe they just like it that you're you know in the future. I think they definitely rate you higher if you also support TLS 1.3. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're going to – I think it's like the difference between A-plus and A-minus or mm-hmm. a, a and a B-plus or something like that. Uh, but definitely at the moment – TLS 1.2, TLS 1.3 are both considered secure. Yeah. And it, TLS 1.3 is considered the most secure. I, you're probably right. And it's been a while since I ran those tests. I just remember wanting to get the A+. What do I have to do? You know, reading <laughs> through Nginx configurations and how to configure the Cypher suites and all of that to uh, to get TLS 1.3 working with the browser for these different sites that I was supporting. And, uh, you know, you got to have the A+, Ed. You do. Oh, absolutely. You want that green check mark, of course. <laughs> so, okay. So TLS 1.3, it doesn't, it's not shiny, shiny new. It, it does have some history here. So do we have broad support, like uh, all major web browsers, HTTP servers? Do we have TLS 1.3 support everywhere that we would expect it to be? Yeah, absolutely. So all the major web browsers of today support TLS 1.3. So that's the Edge, Firefox, Chrome, Safari, Opera, all those, and their, and their mobile counterparts. The latest to support TLS 1.3 was Edge, and that did it in January of 2020. And then the earliest with Firefox and Chrome, they supported it back in October 2018. So it's been a couple of years, uh, at least for that. On the server side, as of June 2021, 46% of web servers support TLS 1.3. That's up from about 30% a year prior in June 2020. So support is definitely growing as time goes on. Yeah, I again, Nginx, no problem. Lots of documentation on how to deal with it. It was all uh, very straightforward. I haven't tried Apache, but I'm assuming Apache being Apache, it's it's been there for a while, I would guess. No, absolutely. So support will probably grow steadily until it hits some plateau that has to do with uh, how TLS modifies the ability to inspect traffic coming across your network. I imagine it'll grow steadily until enough of the corporate hesitation to implement TLS 1.3 <laughs> prevails. And then once new solutions to that have been found, uh, it'll start growing again after that. You, it's my fault you're saying, because I'm a late adopter. The type, that's my personality. <laughs> there you go. Fine. There you go. Fine. Uh, so speaking of that and corporate infrastructures, I heard somewhere along the way, something I was reading, I heard that TLS 1.3 can break proxy servers, which very common thing because you want to crack open a stream and do inspection because you're being responsible about the data streams flowing through your network and stuff. Is that, am I right on that, that TLS 1.3 can break proxy servers? And and if that is the case, what is going on with that? Absolutely. So not proxy servers per se, but any sort of inline or passive decryption of TLS, that's sort of going away in TLS 1.3. It has to do with a cryptographic property, a very desirable cryptographic property known as forward secrecy. Uh, and before we can really describe forward secrecy, there's a few other things we have to describe regarding the changes of TLS 1.3 first. Okay, so we're, let's let's leave that then. You want to get to that a little bit later on because we, uh, we got a bunch of stuff to get through. So it used to be with a proxy server I could throw the right certificate on there and I could decrypt and re-encrypt on the way out. Well, it would depend on the platform, I guess, how I was doing that. But 
Yeah, I guess the point is right. it's and not that simple anymore because of uh, forward secrecy. Yeah, the, the main difference will be if, if your proxy is terminating the connection, totally cool. You can still terminate the connection and yeah. decrypt the traffic yep. in between, right? But okay. if you're doing it inline or passively, mm. that's where you're going to have a problem. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so if it's a true uh, encrypt, terminate, um, inspect, re-encrypt, new session out the other right. side, you know, a, tr a true, a right. full proxy, a true full proxy right. as exactly. opposed to the office. It's got to okay. be a full proxy, absolutely. All right, man, I think we get the basics here of TLS 1.3. We kind of know what we're talking about. We know some of the implications of this and why we care about it. So let's get nerdy, man, because you did you did all this work for this <laughs> class, this course that you're offering, this practical TLS course. So I get to pick your brain and this is this is the fun part of my job. We are it changed paradigms, I think would be the right way to put it, going from you know TLS 1.2 to the, the the big reset with TLS 1.3. Mm -hmm. And how would we put it? We are favoring security and you know, privacy and such uh, over backwards Absolutely. compatibility. So let, get into that. Get, get into some of the, the, the major changes here for security. And, uh, and I guess Absolutely. I'm looking at your notes here. You say simplicity as well. I've got to say, this doesn't sound yeah. simple so far because you're going to have to sell me on that, Ed. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, let's, let's get into it. So TLS 1.3 changes the paradigm, as you just mentioned, uh, to favor security and simplicity over backwards compatibility. So let me speak to the security aspect of that first. So when TLS 1.2 came out, this was back in 2000, 2008, I believe, uh, there were certain protocols that are already sort of suspect about their um, consistent security going forward, things like RC4, things like triple DES. But for the cause of backwards compatibility, TLS 1.2 decided they would still support triple DES and RC4. Now, TLS 1.3, as a, as a design choice, decides to take a more restrictive stance on the protocols it supports. For instance, TLS 1.3, does not even give you the option to do RC4. Neither does it give you the option to do DES or triple DES or any CBC ciphers. Th things, ciphers that have been you know, cracked or have known, known ways to attack them and, uh, right. and, and defeat them. Exactly. Okay. The, exactly. So TLS, so TLS 1.3 is like, you know what, there's no sense in securing or trying to continue to support all these old protocols, which inevitably will become completely insecure. Uh, let's just take them out entirely. And it's interesting when we talk about backwards compatibility, because it's not as simple as things like, oh, you just need to upgrade your web browser. Well, no, there's so many things in the world that are HTTP clients, things like right. uh, credit card uh, swipe uh, devices, terminals right. that would be at a store. They're probably running HTTP and have some kind of embedded something in there. And it could be, Absolutely. if you're not careful, you break those things. I speak from experience where, <laughs> where <laughs> we broke something because we were changing what ciphers were allowed. I can't swipe a card anymore. What's happening? Uh, my point being, when you take backwards compatibility away, it is a big decision because it's not as simple as upgrade your browser and everything's going to be fine. There's all these embedded systems that you might be breaking inadvertently. So, but okay, yeah, we, we, we TLS 1.3, the gauntlet's been thrown down. We're going to be secure. Absolutely, absolutely, and even more so to your point. I mean, we're we're in the Internet of Things days right now. Almost anything is going to connect to the Internet. Most of us have like smart speakers or smart toasters or smart refrigerators and smart lights and stuff you can control remotely. Well, hopefully that control traffic is is happening over a TLS connection. It's happening in a secure way, and those aren't devices that are necessarily easy to upgrade. It isn't just like a browser where you can you know update browser, update Chrome, and everything's everything's up to date. 
I like the way you said, hopefully they're talking over an HTTPS connection because <laughs> yeah. I was just going through like, I have a smart refrigerator. No, they're all not. <laughs> I have a smart lighting. Anyway, yeah, I hope so too. It's been one of my side projects. I'm going to get Wireshark on and uh, find out just what they're speaking and then oh, wish fun. I hadn't done that. Anyway, okay, so security, then, uh, okay, then simplicity cool. you said too. Absolutely. So part of the TLS handshake involves the client and the server agreeing upon what's called a cipher suit. So a cipher suit essentially decides what protocols are going to be actually used to secure the data. In TLS version 1.2 and prior, cipher suits contain four items. That's a key exchange protocol, an authentication uh, protocol, a symmetric encryption protocol, and an, uh, a hashing algorithm. Yep. In TLS 1.2 and prior, a specific cipher suit was designed to essentially handle every combination of protocols for each of those four categories. So in TLS 1.2, there's something like over 300 cipher suits that exist. And of those, 270 or more are considered not secure by today's standards. So TLS 1.3 sort of changes that entirely to just like, listen, let's just keep it simple. There's only going to be five cipher suites that exist in TLS 1.3, and all of them are considered secure for the foreseeable future. Mm. That reminds me of WireGuard. It's uh, similarly simple in, in choices. They're not a bazillion different cipher suites you can choose from uh, with WireGuard right. either. So uh, for TLS 1.3, five uh, cipher suites all secure. And I all assume right. just as soon as one of them's not, they'll be all over that making changes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, having, having less cipher suites means there's less for you to do as an admin to figure out what is secure or not. A lot of setting up a web server now is like picking through the configuration, figure out what ciphers should you disable? Which ones should you enable, et cetera, et cetera? Well, if there's only five, that significantly sim simplifies uh, your task and your ability to deploy a secure web server. So d does the TLS 1.3 cipher suite, one of those five, does it look more or less the same? I just don't have as long of a list anymore, but I've still got those four things, key exchange, uh, et cetera. Or is it, does it look different? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked. The cipher suite uh, structure also changes. So in TLS 1.2 and prior, we said that the cipher suite defines four things, key exchange, authentication, symmetric encryption, and hashing algorithm. Mm -hmm. Well, in TLS 1.3, it's uh, simplified to only define two things, symmetric encryption and a hashing algorithm. That's the five combinations that exist is of different symmetric encryption protocols and hashing algorithms. But that doesn't mean then, we don't do key exchange and auth. We still need to do those things. Correct. It's just separating the choice out for key exchange and authentication to make them independent of the choice you make for symmetric encryption and hashing algorithm. The choices are what's called orthogonal, mm -hmm. which is a new word I had to look. I had to learn when I was doing all this research. Uh, essentially, it means that the choices are completely independent of the other. So, um, so, so why make them all part of one suite? Because you can make these independent choices. Exactly. There's not a dependency there, so we don't need to define all four. Okay. Exactly. You end up making a bunch of redundant cipher suites that just have, you know, a different hashing algorithm, but the same first three options or whatever the case. So the, uh, the goal is to essentially simplify the choices into the three fundamental parts of online security. That's how do we prove to each other who we are, we are who we say we are? How do we establish symmetric keys? And then what algorithms are we going to use to actually protect data? Okay, which is the most straightforward thing. And this is this has been common to cryptography from, from the beginning. I mean, if you were studying IPsec 15 or 20 years ago, how do we know who we are, right. who we say we are? How do we get our right. keys established? Uh, what algorithms actually protect data? You could actually, you could add some stuff like, you know, what are we going to talk about? And a few things like that, depending on uh, what cryptography you're working with. But yeah, proving who you are, who you say you are, and then the rest, that is what you need to get that secure communication set up. They boiled it down as simply as possible. That's interesting. They really did rethink it. 
Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They're able to, I mean, the idea of a single cypher suite to pick everything seems simple in the very beginning, but then it turned into this, you know, huge list of 300 plus cypher suites, all, you know, most of which are insecure. Uh, so this breaks up the choice a little bit to further simplify the, uh, the end goal, if you will. Now, what you didn't mention that you mentioned earlier is forward secrecy, which in, in IPsec, again, not a new thing. Like PFS, perfect forward secrecy, has been around as an optional yeah. thing you could flip on for IPsec. And one of those fun things when you're doing VPN tunnels between different oh. vendors, we do PFS by default. We don't. Why won't the tunnel come up? Because it's not. Right, fun. absolutely. It, you know, stuff like that. But so how does forward secrecy factor into my cipher suites? Uh, a second ago, I told you that you make the choice you use for key exchange independent from all the other algorithms you're going to use. Well, in TLS 1.3, there's only two options you have for key exchange. So that's Diffie-Hellman or elliptic curve Diffie-Hellman. And both of those include forward secrecy. So let's talk about what forward secrecy is, and then we could talk about how uh, forward secrecy messes up with SSL decryption. Uh, so as I explain this, uh, I want you to keep in mind any ability that a security device has to inspect uh, SSL traffic is also an ability that a man in the middle has to decrypt SSL traffic. So in order to share protected data, you need a mutual secret key, mm -hmm. which brings us to what the crypto community calls the key exchange problem. How do you establish that secret key across the internet? And there are two solutions to that problem, the RSA algorithm or the Diffie-Hellman algorithm. Well, your, your point here being you don't just exchange the key in plain text because someone couldn't right. you know, grab it. That, that's a bad thing. Absolutely. So we have to, we want to secretly in an encrypted way, exchange the secret key. And that, that's what you're describing Absolutely. here. Uh, RSA and Absolutely. RSA. Okay. It's almost like a chicken or the egg problem because you, you want to exchange the key encrypted, but you can't encrypt the key until you have the right. key. So right. uh, RSA and Diffie-Hellman are essentially two clever ways of establishing secret keys that don't uh, also you know, divulge them to the entire world. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk through both of those. So we'll start with RSA, because this is the simplest one to understand. With RSA, the server has a public and private key. The client generates a random secret and encrypts it with the server's public key. Mm -hmm. Now, the only key in the world that can uh, extract the original random secret is whoever has that private key, which should only be that server. So the server takes that value, extracts it, and now both parties have a identical secret that nobody else in the world has. That secret ends up becoming the seed value from which additional session keys are generated, which will actually secure the data. The important thing to understand is that the only thing that protected that seed value while it was on the wire is that private key file, meaning anybody with a private key file can extract that seed value. Typically, what SSL decryption devices like IDSs or WAFs would require you to do is they'll have you upload your server's private key to the security device. Yep. And now your security device is able to man in the middle, essentially, the traffic as it's going between the client server, extract that seed value, recalculate the same session keys, and now see all the data that was encrypted between the client and server. Okay. So doing a key exchange using RSA does not provide for its secrecy because what was encrypted once might not remain encrypted going forward. This is actually something that people were suspicious of the NSA for a while. They're like, you're just capturing a bunch of encrypted data 
And if you ever get the private key in the future, you can go and decrypt all the data you'd captured in the past. Now, we didn't say what forward secrecy is at the top of this, but my memory is in a nutshell, it is a rolling key so that data that is captured in this scenario you just described and could be man in the middle is only is only va valuable for a very short amount of time because then the key is going to change as you move along. Is that roughly correct? It's been a while since I studied this, Ed, I got to be honest. <laughs> yeah, 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 more or less. So the way I'll, I'll define forward secrecy is essentially once something's encrypted, it remains encrypted. There's no way to recreate the session keys later on in the future. Mm. So with RSA, we don't have that because if you have the private key, you can apply that to traffic captured in the past to decrypt all of that traffic. But with Diffie-Hellman? Absolutely. You will have that with Diffie-Hellman. So let me speak to you how that works. So with Diffie-Hellman, both parties are going to generate a private value at random, and that value is never going to be shared. They're then, they're then going to combine that with other values known to everybody and use their private values in combination with the common values to create public values, which will also be shared on the wire. Then both parties will combine the shared public key with that private value that they never shared. And because of the magic of Diffie-Hellman, the result ends up being an identical shared secret that's only knowable by anybody who had the initial private starting values. By magic of Diffie-Hellman, you mean math? Yes, by essentially <laughs> math, right. Uh, and this is why you want um, uh, CPUs that have cryptography, hardware acceleration and, and such. Yeah, because this, this needs there's a lot of math going on to make this happen. Okay, got it. Absolutely, cool. So the, the heart of it is you can never actually get to the shared secret unless you have one of those private values. And if you're doing Diffie-Hellman the right way, which is called ephemeral Diffie-Hellman, then as soon as you have that mutual shared secret, you delete those starting values from memory. You never save them, you never record them, mm. you never log them everywhere. And if they're gone, they can never be compromised in the future, which means no one can recreate the shared secret to derive the session keys to decrypt that uh, data that was protected by those keys in the future. <laughs> so essentially okay. what was encrypted once remains always encrypted, unless someone brute forces your key, but that's all keys are vulnerable to brute force. Yeah, and maybe maybe quantum cryptography uh, puts a blows a big hole in that. We'll see. We'll see what the future holds in that field. But, okay, absolutely. That's that's a whole new uh, rabbit trail to dive into. <laughs> okay, so that so if I'm using not RSA but Diffie-Hellman and doing the key exchange that way, I have an option of forward secrecy, or forward secrecy is inherent in the way Diffie-Hellman is doing the key exchange. Absolutely. So it's inherent to simply using Diffie-Hellman as a key exchange. Okay. Now, the thing that's different is TLS 1.2 does give you the option to use RSA or Diffie-Hellman as a key exchange. Right. Okay. Um, that, that, that reinforces what you're saying. Right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. And TLS 1.3 only has one option for a key exchange. It's one of the Diffie-Hellman options, uh, which means you will always have forward secrecy. That's good for the overall security landscape, right? But that's bad for the folks that want to do passive SSL decryption if you're inspecting SSL traffic as it's leaving your corporate network or uh, whatever the case. Because you can't backdoor this with uh, right. you know, feeding private keys in and such. The way this works, you're, you are locked out. Only the endpoints are going to be able to discover this. So it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. With, uh, with yeah, proxy. private key is not enough. Yeah. No, the point I was going to make is um, if I am used to wanting to inspect that traffic, I really have to have a full proxy. The device has got to be in the middle of the conversation, not just observing off to the side. 
uh, like you might do with an IPS or something where you're just giving it a feed or running some data stream through a visibility fabric so some device can inspect it. It's not useful anymore. Now you've got to actually decrypt the traffic at the proxy, now do your inspection, then re-encrypt the stream on its way. It's got to be in the middle, which sucks for people who really (laughs) want to do that inspection, but is great for security. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. We interrupt this podcast for a brief word from Packet Pusher sponsor, InterOptic. InterOptic has been the trusted optical transceiver supplier for many federal, state, and local government networks and Fortune 500 companies. They provide friendly, U.S.-based, OEM-agnostic networking expertise to help you choose the best optics and fiber to future-proof your networks at the lowest cost. Why continue to pay OEM prices for optics? Talk to the experts who will deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. InterOptic can help you and your team create a more nimble physical layer. Their optical transceivers are guaranteed 100% compatible with Cisco, Juniper, Extreme, Arista, and other switches. InterOptic physically tests every single transceiver before it's shipped, and their transceivers are built to the exact same quality standards as the OEMs and typically come from the same manufacturing lines. That means you can purchase the same, if not better performing, optical transceivers tested and designed by engineers who truly understand the specifications critical to your network at a fraction of OEM costs. It's time to take control of your optics purchases with InterOptic. Find out how at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now back to the conversation. All right, Ed. So I think I get the basics of like a forward proxy architecture. Walk me through it, practically speaking, how I'd actually do this. What does it look like when I put a full proxy? And because it occurs to me, I'm doing forward proxies, but I've also worked with a lot of reverse proxies as well. I don't know if that changes anything or not. Anyway, give me your take on this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as we just discussed, right, because of forward secrecy, the, the only way to acquire the session keys to decrypt the traffic is if you do so at the exact time of the connection itself. So you can, it's not something you can do after the fact just by getting the private key. So your options there are to do some sort of full proxy. And of that, you have two options, reverse proxies and forward proxies. So Reverse proxy would be something like a load balancer, some sort of WAF or IDS or, or, a, or, or network monitoring system that's sitting in front of the web server and that's fully terminating the TLS session. Mm-hmm. This means that the SSL session is between the client and the network monitoring system or the IDS, we'll say. No longer is it between the client and the server. Now, the NMS will then re-encrypt the traffic typically when sending it to the server. That way you're doing full end-to-end encryption. But... In between, on the proxy, the traffic is unencrypted, and you can then inspect it or run it through whatever your, uh, your web application firewall needs to do. On the other side, so a forward proxy would be something like monitoring all the outbound SSL connections happening on your corporate network. Uh, the only way to full proxy that would be to use something like a, a, essentially a, a web proxy. This makes it so that all outbound web or HTTPS connections go to a web proxy that you control. That web proxy then on the fly generates a certificate for all the websites that are being visited and essentially terminates the session between your clients on your network to your web server and then redoes an SSL session out to the actual internet. Now, that's going to require uh, your clients to install your corporate CA uh, in their trusted root store. Mm -hmm. Uh, This will avoid any SSL errors or whatever the case. The main thing is that there has to be independent sessions between the client and the proxy, and then the server and the proxy. And obviously your proxy server will find a way to 
mix the data across both of those sessions. Well, this doesn't sound terribly different from some, uh, I used to be in uh, some environments that were heavy riverbed shops. We did a lot of WAN optimization, Mm -hmm. and then it wasn't a TLS 1.3 problem. It was just a problem of to accelerate this traffic efficiently, effectively, we need to decrypt the traffic, do the acceleration magic, re-encrypt, and send it on its way. And it was very similar. We had to install uh, certificates in all the right places, make sure the uh, certificates that were issued were from whichever certificate authorities were trusted in all the right places. It was a little bit of a pain in the butt, not too bad. And and it worked. It let us do all the things we need to do. Going back to the reverse proxy scenario, yeah, uh, again, back in the day, it was some F5 boxes that would do Mm -hmm. some of this. Mm -hmm. And we could sit on the F5 box and do things, whatever we needed. TCP dump was one of my Absolutely. favorites as they would say, why is Absolutely. the network slow? Or why is this happening? <laughs> why is that happening? I don't know. Let me set up TCP dump and I'll look at what's coming in on the front side. I'll look at what's going on the back side and we'll see if we can figure it out. Th- these architectures are not going to be completely unfamiliar to, to enterprise folks. Uh, again, reinforcing your earlier point, the big impact here is the off to the side stuff. Um, the inline Correct. stuff is with some some caveats, more or less the same that I think enterprise architectures are going to be familiar with. Correct. What uh what goes away is the silent decryption of traffic, um, where where some sort of WAF will will have you disable the forward secrecy ciphers on your web server or your or whatever, and then uh, passively decrypt all the traffic coming across your network to to do inspection. Hmm. Um, the issue with that is that the, the clients don't necessarily know that their stuff is being decrypted, which potentially could pose an ethical concern there. Whereas if you're doing a full proxy, you know, from the client's perspective, they sign NDA to join your network mm-hmm. or from the server's perspective, you're sending the traffic to the server anyway. So you should trust them if, if you're doing business with them. Uh, whereas that silent passive decrypting of SSL traffic, that's the thing that TLS 1.3 sort of gets rid of for the most part. Because you yeah. see clear evidence in the certificates that you're getting on the client side, who you're really talking to. It's it's right. Yeah, I mean the end end user is right. not really going to know the difference, but it's it is the evidence is there if you care to dig in. Correct. Yeah. Now there are a lot of vendors that have essentially built their business upon that passive SSL decryption and inspection, uh, and so they're sort of scrambling to figure out a way to do this in TLS 1.3 because it sort of blows their business model uh, out of the water, right? Um, so there is a way I've come across that I think might be important for, for your audience to, to know that exists. Uh, I'll say up front, it's not my favorite method of doing SSL decryption, uh, but I guess it's probably worth at least knowing about. Um, I've heard this referred to as different things and probably every vendor is going to call it something different because uh, marketing, <laughs> uh, but I'll call it session key exporting. So essentially what happens is you run some sort of software on all of your web servers, or you force all of your clients on your corporate network to uh, run some sort of software on their computers uh, via some sort of group policy or whatever the case. And what that software does is every TLS session that occurs, the session keys get exported to some device in the middle. And those session keys can be used to decrypt all the traffic happening uh, across your network. Uh, the issue is it has to decrypt the traffic in real time. If it's going to be any sort of IDS IPS, that's going to protect your network in any short sort of way. Mm. So those session keys have to be sent to your IDS your IDS has to confirm it has it before the actual data transfer can occur. So it's going to add additional latency for all of your, um, all of the connections going through your network. Uh, but the potentially dubious side effect of this is 
every single session key for every single HTTPS connection is now being sent across the network to some other device, which essentially has the keys to the kingdom. So there is a security, you're sort of increasing the attack surface pretty, pretty greatly using a solution like that. It's, it's a game of trade-offs like everything else. So TLS 1.3 yep. is more secure. But if for security reasons, you need to crack into that encrypted session because reasons, there's a million reasons why you might want to do that, then that you've got a, this, this would be a compromise uh, kind right. of solution. And you got to make that decision whether that's worth it to you or not. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always, there's no, Absolutely. there's no it's win. It's never easy. Yeah, there's no, right, right. All right, so that was a discussion about inspecting decrypting SSL traffic in TLS 1.3. Um, AEAD ciphers Eddie. Now I have noticed this in some cipher list and gone, man, that's another thing I got to look up, but, uh, you just made my job easy because you're about to talk about it, Ed. So I am. Yeah, absolutely. So another difference in TLS 1.3 is they mandate the use of what's called an AEAD cipher. So that stands for authenticated encryption with associated data. So a simple definition of what that is, is an AEAD cipher does both confidentiality and integrity at the exact same time. Confidentiality, so me, that's encrypted, meaning I need to I need to have the magic key to be able to decrypt it and see it. Right. Uh, and integrity, Absolutely. no one's screwed with it in the middle. Absolutely, okay. nailed it. Absolutely. So confidentiality is provided via encryption, and then integrity is provided by what's known as a, as a MAC, a message authentication code. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you, you hash the data on the wire, combine it with the secret key and the resulting digest gets appended to what's on the wire so you can verify that nothing was changed. The digest says the hash should be this. If you get this and you calculate and get a different number, something's wrong, don't trust it. Exactly, okay. 100%. So typically, or at least prior to AEAD ciphers, those were two separate steps, which means you would take what you're trying to secure, run it through encryption to get confidentiality, and then take that and run it through some sort of integrity mechanism like a Mac to attain integrity. The issue is since there are two separate steps, a weak implementation of one of those steps could cause a compromise of the other. Moreover, you run into this question, if you have two separate steps, which should you do first? Now, it might seem like it's a pretty trivial choice as long as you end up doing both, uh, but the choice ends up actually being rather significant. So TLS chose to do Mac then encrypt. So they chose to do the integrity portion first, and then the confidentiality. So they'll take the plain text, run it through a hashing algorithm, append the digest, and then encrypt both the plain text and the digest and send that on the wire. IPsec, for example, chose to do it the other way. They do encrypt then Mac. Hmm. So they encrypt the plain text, hash, that, that creates the ciphertext. They then hash the ciphertext and append the digest on the wire. Then as both those protocols were essentially tested through the, uh, the test of time, it turns out that the encrypt then Mac option ended up being more secure. TLS's choice of doing Mac than encrypt led to many different vulnerabilities like the beast vulnerability or the lucky 13 vulnerability oh. and a slew of other attacks. That's, so that's interesting. Cause that's sort of counterintuitive. Um, you'd think, right. you know, if I'm encrypting the hash and it's inside, it's against the plain text, boy, that sounds more secure because I've hidden all that stuff. And, and so it's interesting to know that that's not, that that is not the way. Cool. Right. Okay. Absolutely. The, the, the heart of why is, is if you're doing encrypt, then Mac, you have to do rather whichever order you choose to undo it, you do it in the opposite order. So TLS doing Mac then encrypt means they have to first decrypt before they can determine that something changed in the data when it was on the wire. So that's kind of the heart of why uh, vulnerabilities were, were found with TLS in a cell 
that didn't exist with IPsec. Mm. Okay, so the order that you do these are very important. Uh, and TLS 1.3 sort of fixes this, but not just by fixing the order. TLS 1.3 actually goes a step further by mandating the use of these AEAD ciphers. AEAD ciphers do both integrity and confidentiality in a single operation. So you don't have to decide what you do first. It's just both done at the same time in the proper way in a secure cryptographically approved manner. That's the heart of AEAD. And that's sort of ties back into the simplicity uh, paradigm shift of TLS 1.3. It's like, let's just take away this choice as an option <laughs> and let's just force AEAD ciphers so that it's automatically done in the correct order in a secure way. Okay, so that's another another under the hood change here. Now, what's interesting is again, you're explaining what's happening with TLS 1.3. It's not an option box I have to check. It's just there because as you put it, they took the choice away. Right. Right. Um now it is an option in TLS 1.2. So TLS 1.2 actually introduced AAD ciphers. Uh so if you use a cipher of AES GCM or ChaCha20, mm -hmm. those are both AEAD ciphers. So they both uh, have the benefit of definitely not doing things in the wrong order, we'll say. Uh, but TLS 1.3, all cipher suits are AAD ciphers. So uh, no matter what, you're doing things correctly in that sense. Hmm. There's another big TLS change, Ed, which is the handshake. The way we stand up this session between two endpoints has changed as well. It's more efficient now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for to establish a secure session, right, a client server performed this handshake. Uh, in the handshake, they're proving who they are to each other. They're establishing secret keys. They're agreeing on protocols to secure data. In TLS 1.2 and prior, the handshake required two full round trips. So the first round trip was essentially them agreeing upon a specific cipher. And then the second round trip was essentially them uh, doing a key exchange to establish symmetric keys. The difference is that the TLS 1.2 and prior handshake starts from position of zero knowledge of the other side. So it has to figure out all this stuff before it can actually start es establishing keys. Well, TLS 1.3, since the choices have all been simplified, can essentially assume certain things about the other side and will essentially guess at the protocols that the other side will support and therefore can go straight into the establishing keys section. So the full TLS 1.3 handshake only requires one round trip. As in, if I'm at 1.2, hey, I need to talk to you, but I don't know what, basically what language we're going to use to talk. You could kind of use that as a metaphor. What, what, here's right. some things. What do you think? Um, well, I'd like this. Okay, great. And now we can move on to establishing keys. But you had that one round trip, me talking to you, and then me responding. And now right. we can move on from there. But with TLS 1.3, I can make safe assumptions because what all my cipher suites and so on has been right. narrowed down. So we don't much. have to exactly. We no longer have to agree upon one cipher suite from a list of 300. We now have to agree upon one from a list of five. I can essentially start all five handshakes and you can just pick the one you want to continue. Uh, and therefore oh. we can do everything in one round trip. Okay. Well, that's, well, is it, is it one round trip or is it uh, five, four of which never complete? Um, the, it's, it's actually one round trip. So there's going to be a, a predominant, most commonly supported cipher. Uh, and that cipher is going to include a specific type of key exchange. And so in the first message, the client can 
already include the, the information for its part of the key exchange yeah. to account for those ciphers. Uh, and then what'll start to happen is, is your, so for instance, in web browsers are gonna start to learn. So if they try and make a connection with a particular website and the website prefers a different standard, they'll just memorize that, hey, for this website, I need to start with this particular handshake. And maybe that okay. first time you connect to it, we'll take a second round trip to kind of update each other and what protocols they like, but they'll learn. And then going forward, the connection will start much, much quicker. Interesting. So it's possible then that if the most common of the five isn't used by the mm -hmm. other end or they, they prefer something else, we would end up with more than you know an additional round trip. Uh, Absolutely. But then again, there's a learning process here. So a, a browser right. would know, I assume this must be written into the standard. Hey, your browser, your client yep. should keep track of these things. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, there's a whole, there's a message, a, a hello retry request, which essentially says, Hey, I didn't like that particular cipher choice. Use this instead. And then the client tries again. Uh, and so at worst, it just makes it a two round trip session establishment, which is the same that we had in TLS 1.2. Well, that's interesting. If you compare TCP and uh, Quick, which runs over UDP, there's some of the same benefits there. Yep. We don't have to do a yep, three-way handshake to stand up this HTTP connection. We're just going to start basically start talking, and you'll have actual data right from the first uh, session, that uh, right from the first right. datagram that uh, that we sent. Absolutely. This this feels like Absolutely. a similar sort of performance gain. Yep. It it reduces the uh, the time to first byte, which which makes everything feel more snappy, more responsive, and especially with with um, I mean. It, Starlink and Elon Musk, you know, using satellite-based internet or whatever the case, uh, all that is a round trip, which which has an additional cost than just something like uh, you know cable or DSL or whatever the case. Mm. Time to first byte—that sounds like a term I should have known. I don't think I've—I'm sure I've heard that somewhere. But yeah, okay, you made it sound fancy now. Time to first byte. You <laughs> reduced the time to first byte. I love it. Love it. There okay. you go. Okay. So, so we got a shorter handshake that uh, makes TLS 1.3 more efficient on the setup. I mean, it's, we're talking um, a bigger gain depending on the latency between the endpoints. It's still, you know, you're mm -hmm. going to notice it less in your LAN and more going across uh, to a distant internet or around the world um, yep. for sure. So, but, the, but there's a win there. Okay. And uh, we got another one here in your notes, Ed. Uh, zero round trip session resumption. I got to be honest with you, man. I don't know. I got nothing on this one. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk about it. So TLS 1.3 reduces the regular handshake from two round trips to one round trip. But what would be better than one round trip, zero round trips. So what TLS 1.3 also introduces is the option to resume an old session and start sending the first byte of data in the same packet, essentially allowing you to send data in the first reconnection you're doing to a server. So define an old session. I mean, is this like I've been talking to a browser, I haven't loaded a page in the last minute and a half, and now I load another page, that kind of thing? Or like three days later, I hit that site and it resumes? Either. So both of those absolutely work. So SSL and TLS allow what's called session resumption. This allows you to resume an old session without having to go through the hard work of asymmetric math or re-exchanging certificates and all that fun stuff. Uh, now the client and the server both independently track how long they want to allow that for, whether, you know, no more than 30 minutes or no more than three days, that's sort of up to them to manage, if you will. But what it does do is it spares them from doing additional work when they don't need to. I imagine most of us have, you know, hundreds of browser tabs open on all of our computers and we frequently do some work, step away for a little bit, come back and try to go right back into it, right? Well, if that connection went idle and closed, we would like to be able to pick up where we left off and session resumption allows us to do so using 
the session keys from the prior session. So that existed in TLS 1.2. And in 1.2, it reduced the full two round trip handshake to a single round trip. And then in TLS 1.3, you can do a abbreviated handshake also in one round trip. That spares you from doing additional asymmetric math as we just mentioned, uh, but TLS 1.3 also added the ability for the client to send encrypted data in its first message. Uh, this is called early data and essentially allows uh, a session to resume in zero round trips because your first message to the server also includes the data you need to send to the server. So this is a, certainly an efficiency for both client and server, but I think that with the biggest win, is it fair to say, is going to be on the server side that if the client supports session resumption, I mean, it's tracking thousands of sessions potentially, depending on how busy that server is. It's got... I don't know. It's incremental, right? Because we still got to do math on you know the actual encryption of the payload, which is where the bulk of our data is going back and forth. Sure, but your your benefit is you only have to do symmetric math, which is much easier for yes. your CPU. Yes, yes. And, and if you're using AES, most most computers have hardware chips that do it do it in hardware. So, so I'm getting I'm I'm getting a big win here on on the server side mm -hmm. for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going from TLS one two, let's say I shut off TLS one one and one two on my web server and force my clients TLS one three. All right, I don't want to talk to you. I, in theory, for a heavily loaded web server, would see CPU utilization go down. I guess that's an it depends. I suppose in theory, T TLS one point three also requires a lot of elliptic curve crypto, which mm. is a little higher CPU cost. So I'm not sure if it would balance out in the long run, but uh, but honestly, what they're finding these days is that the 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 asymmetric math burden on CPUs is is not that negligible. It's like totally negligible. It's not it's not a big deal because of a hardware offload. It's negligible or just the correct. Okay, and, and CPUs have just gotten you know a lot of this math was de you know derived 20 years ago. So it's very different computing landscape hmm. than than what we have today. Yeah. Where you would see the increase in performance is just in overall responsiveness. Everything would take just that one less round trip to show up or react or click the button or do the transaction or, or, or whatever it is that you're trying to do. If you consider web traffic, right, no matter what, you have TCP round trip, you've got a DNS round trip, you've got the HTTP conversation itself, which is going to be a round trip. So uh, if you can make do that all within SSL and have SSL not cost that many more round trips, overall, you end up with a uh, about what, what is that a 25% reduction in the amount of round trips you have to do before that time to first bite. And if you're listening to Ed and I talk about this, that he just broke out all the different steps that are gone through so you can stand up and actually get to payload, get to data exchange, you need to look at, uh, a, there's a bunch of solutions out there that'll actually graph out the entirety of a transaction from DNS mm -hmm. all the way through to get a page to load. You'll be stunned if you've never done this before at all the different components and the amount of overhead that uh, that shows up. So often it's DNS, for example, took so long to resolve that host name in the address bar into an IP address that that's why the website feels slow because it just took mm -hmm. DNS a while to come back to that's Anyway, that's that's worth digging <laughs> into if you've never done that before. Uh, Ed, one more question on this zero round trip session resumption. I had asked, well, what's the limit on this? Does it, is it like, you know, a few seconds or, you know, come back in three days? You're like, yeah, both of those will work. Well, is there any limit on it? I mean, how, how long can it be in between visits before zero round trip session resumption is more or less an expired function and I got to start from scratch? So it's difficult to answer because every vendor is free to implement their own limits in that, right? And so part of what the vendor 
or the admin has to decide is how long do I want to keep the old session keys in memory, right? Because the longer they're in memory, potentially an attack vector shows up for that. And also if you're a web server that's handling, you know, millions of connections over the course of an hour, you want to keep track of millions of those session keys, you know, for, for some sort of duration. So there isn't a, a formal standard for this is the recommendation. I've seen 24 hours pop up a lot, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that this is the recommended or most common limit for what, uh, how long a session will resume. Well, you just brought something important to light that I had, hadn't thought about it quite this way, but the, the issue is the keys are sitting in memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where, that's where the, the life is. They're not stored in some secure vault on disk that your web browser wrote to, let's say they're, they're sitting up Correct. in memory, going to be a bigger burden well, even, on the server side, but, uh, even if they do get saved to some secure vault storage, whatever the case that's, that's now. I mean, you, you gain in the ability to store more keys, but you lose in the ability that now you have a different attack vector of where your keys are, are, are saved. So again, like you said, everything everything's a compromise. And if the issue is latency, as soon as you got to do a read from disk, you've added a little more latency too. There you go. So, you know, why Absolutely. would you do that? Okay. Okay. Absolutely. There's uh, a, since we're talking about it, there's a, there's a neat way that they can do, essentially store the session key with the client called session tickets. It's, it's not something I... Uh, meant to discuss, but what the server can do is take the session keys, encrypt it with a key that's only known to the server, and send the result of that to the client. And essentially, as long as the client wants to hang on to that, the server can re-extract the right keys from that without having to keep track of the session key themselves. They call it a stateless stateless session resumption uh, using session tickets. Boy, that's going to have to be a study in the app to see if there is an efficiency gain to be had there. I bet that's case by case, whether, whether or not you'd want to do that. That's interesting. Hmm. The efficiency there is you can do session resumption across geographically dispersed, dispersed servers. So you're probably not going to gain much if you only have a single server and a single web client. But if you have a thousand web servers all over the world, uh, you can resume a session with any one of them since you're storing the session information with the client. There is an aspect of this where this feels like it's too good to be true. And you, you actually highlighted some of it. I got a bunch of keys sitting around in memory. The longer I have them sitting around in memory, if I had the, yeah. just the right piece of malware that could get at that chunk of memory and knew it was what it was looking for, that's bad maybe. Any other vulnerabilities or concerns for the zero round yeah. trip session so resumption? It now comes back. Well, so, so I'll break that answer up, up into two parts. So, Memory, so concerns with the session ticket system that I was just discussing, uh, you sort of defeat forward secrecy because now if you have, if you compromise that one key that the server maintains, you can decrypt everybody's session keys. So that's a problem. Uh, But with the zero round trip resumption that TLS 1.3 introduces, the problem with sending data in the first message back to the server uh, is that early data is what's uh, susceptible to what's called a replay attack meaning you could potentially repeat a transaction uh, inadvertently if someone simply captures that data and simply resends it to the server. Mm-hmm. Now, normally, SLTLS provide what's called anti-replay protection by embedding a sequence number in the integrity mechanism, so in the hashing in the MAC mechanism. Um, and in, in an established session, replay packets will always be dropped because the server knows that, hey, I've already seen this particular sequence number. I'm going to ignore this repeated sequence number. But the issue is zero round trip resumption creates a situation where that early data packet is going to be accepted by the server. Now, that's not really a problem if you have a single client and a single server because the same server won't accept the same message repeated. But if you have 
geographically dispersed web servers all over the world, each of those servers, or I should say zero round trip resumption, allows a client to send early data to each of those servers, potentially having each of those servers accept the data and repeat whatever transaction was in that payload. This is, we again, geographically dispersed servers as in, I'm any casting an address or I've got DNS sure. uh, round robin as something as simple as that. So depending on where Absolutely. I'm going, I could be vulnerable to this. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, it again, turns into a, this new term that you see with uh, TLS 1.3 documentation called uh, idempotent. Essentially, it's the idea that repeated requests should be harmless. So that doesn't mean don't use zero round trip resumption. That means your zero round trip resumption should be an idempotent request, something like an HTTP get. Because if you get repeated requests for a particular website, that doesn't hurt anything, right? But if you're trying to do an HTTP post, for instance, uh, that could be repeated e-commerce purchases, that could be repeated bank transfers, things that could cause harm if repeated maliciously. So if your request is not idempotent, meaning it isn't harmless if repeated, if it's not idempotent, you want to do the full handshake or the full resumption without doing the zero round trip resumption. At that point, for security's sake, the additional round trip is worth the cost. Yeah, item potency comes up a lot in, um, oh, using a variety of automation platforms, but the idea being, yeah, if you run a change twice in a row, the second change shouldn't do the thing again. It should know that the state the change is intending right. is already there and it won't you know, blow up the work that you've already done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Are harmless. Fascinating. So there is, that's, that's a, that feels like an edge case vulnerability. That's not a, well, the security nerds would say, no, it's very serious, but this replay <laughs> vulnerability is, um, it would be a tough one to exploit, really tough one. But then if you look at some of the more successful vulnerability uh, exploits that we've seen happen in 2021, you know that a determined attacker will figure out whatever is needed to get something done. Right. Mm. The, the important thing is if you're, if you're doing something where you've offloaded the concern of security. So for instance, if you're doing, if you're on a web, just browsing the web, Chrome is going to know whether you're doing a get or a post and Chrome is going to make the zero round trip or one round trip decision smartly. You don't have to worry about it. Mm. Right. But if you're writing some sort of API endpoint or writing some sort of uh, software deployment that, that involves securing data across the network with TLS, it's worth you knowing when the request or the API that's that call that's being made is idempotent or not so that you can choose to disable zero round trip um, resumption or not. <laughs> oh boy. That's uh, you really got to know your infrastructure and your data very well to be yeah. able to make that kind of a decision. That really is a deeply informed decision that you're trying to make. Wow. That's a, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Okay, man. We have talked through a lot of stuff over the last <laughs> hour or so. Let's review it. Give me, give me the highlights again of the things if we're improving from TLS 1.1 and 1.2 and moving to TLS 1.3, bring it all back together, you know, bullet point style. Absolutely. Yeah, this, this has been quite a lot. So in summary, so TLS 1.3 is a pretty big departure from prior versions of TLS and SSL. Uh, and at the core of that, it's a paradigm shift of favoring simplicity and security over backwards compatibility. Cypher suites in TLS 1.3 are simplified. Uh, it's reduced from 300 plus to just five. The, uh, all the Cypher suites, all five of those, are AEAD ciphers, which is good for security, and all of them provide forward secrecy, which is also good for security, but it does limit or disable the ability to do passive 
TLS and SSL decryption. There are some questionable methods that might still work, uh, but your safe method to do SSL decryption would be a full proxy. The handshake itself in TLS 1.3 is much faster and more secure. It only requires uh, one round trip to complete the full handshake. Resumption, session resumption uh, still exists in TLS 1.3 and normally would cost one round trip, but there is a way of doing it where you can send data in that first message, allowing you to do zero round trip resumption. But keep in mind that that early data you send in the zero round trip resumption is susceptible to replay attacks. Great stuff, Ed. This is, man, you communicated this all very clearly. I have gotten a lot out of this and you brought a lot of things together. Now, I know a lot of why you were so effective at communicating this is because you have a course, this practical TLS course. Can you, dude, plug it, tell people how they can get a hold of this course. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, teach a course. It's an online course called Practical TLS. Uh, it's a deep dive into SSL and TLS, uh, which really are the protocols to secure the, the entire internet. So we get into the cryptography, we get into certificates, private key files, CSRs, we get into certificate authorities. You actually end up creating your own certificate authority and, and using that to sign and generate certificates. We pick apart the handshake, we look at it in Wireshark, we show you how it works. We use a ton of open SSL commands. You end up doing 30 plus lab tasks throughout the course. We cover the entire ecosystem in great, great depth. And all the stuff that we just discussed in TLS 1.3 is gonna be a new module that I'm adding to the course shortly. We're gonna pick apart everything we just discussed in much more detail with pretty graphics and all that fun stuff. And a few things that we didn't get a chance to bring up just cause there's so much to it. Again, the course is uh, practical TLS. You can reach it at precnet.net slash TLS. That's the uh, first two syllables of my website, Practical Networking. So PracNet, P-R-A-C, net, and then .net slash TLS. And for uh, Packet Pushers listeners, I've created a coupon code. You can get a $100 discount from the full course. Just use the coupon code Packet Pushers 100. That's case insensitive. Uh, again, Packet Pushers 100 to get $100 off. Ooh, if you right. happen to work for a company that uses uh, where you have to configure and deploy and troubleshoot SSL on TLS, more than likely they will pay for the course for you. So feel free to uh, hit them up to get, you know, really good SSL training from uh, practical networking. So Ed, what's been, what, what was almost intimidating is you were like, in much more detail, we go into this, there's 30 <laughs> labs and so on. Uh, because we got into some detail here. Now, I know we had to skip some stuff along the way uh, just because there's only so much time in a podcast, but uh but the, it, this sounds uh, thorough, so I'm... Mm, it is a deep dive course. Boy, so we are, yeah. uh, are going to get on, into the weeds. So if, if you're just looking for a high-level overview, this, this is probably not for you. But if, uh, if you're looking to become an expert, th this is definitely for you. Well, you're very gracious to offer Packet Pushers listeners a coupon. So again, pracnet.net slash TLS, coupon code Packet Pushers 100. Ed will give you $100 off. His course. Great stuff. Now, Ed, you're a, a blogger. I think uh, you've you got a YouTube channel, maybe Twitter, something like that. Anything else you want to plug? Yeah, I, uh, I run a blog. I publish network engineer articles, the network security articles. That's practicalnetworking.net. I also have a YouTube channel by the same name. I'm not on Twitter. Um, I, haven't, I don't do too much social media. Uh, I need to at some point, but at the moment, it's just that blog. You don't need the distraction, man. You don't. I promise. <laughs> Yeah, no kidding. But, uh, I don't know. There's no winning because uh, when you have things like, uh, of course you want to share it, it'd be nice to be able to tell Twitter about that and stuff. On the other Absolutely. hand, it really can be a distraction. So I, I completely understand why you don't have <laughs> a, a too big of a social media presence. 
completely understood. Folks, if you're listening to this and you want to investigate Ed's course, all the links will be on the show notes for this episode at packetpushers.net. You can look at the top at podcasts and click through to heavy networking and you'll see this show listed in the heavy networking page. Just click on through. All the links will be there for you uh, for Ed's course. And uh, our thanks to Ed for spending time and sharing his knowledge in this highly technical topic with uh, with me, Ed, much appreciated, and everyone in the Pack of Pushers community. And again, Ed, he's an independent creator, just like I am, just like Greg is, just like Drew. If you listen to the Pack of Pushers Network, you listen to me, Greg, and Drew all the time. So support the tech folks out there that are doing good work, because that is how we feed our families. Share this show with your friends and colleagues. And if you need TLS training, again, give Ed's course a look. If you would like to interact with fellow network engineers and IT professionals, you might also consider joining our free, no strings attached Slack group at packetpushers.net slash Slack. We have a few rules you should read first, but then go sign up, ask a question, share an answer, voice an opinion. It's all humans helping humans. Everybody's welcome, including our friends from the vendor world. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.